Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart. For you yourself know my service, which I have remembered you or rendered you. But Laban said to him, if now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He continued, name your wages and I will give it. But he said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and have and how your cattle have fared with me. But you had little before I came and it has it has increased to a multitude and the Lord had has blessed me or bless you wherever I turn. But now when shall I provide for my own household? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through the entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And such such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban said, good, let it be according to your word. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and speckled and spotted female goats, every one of them with white in it and all the black ones among the sheep and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods in which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watery troughs where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of the of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flocks and the gutters so they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what belonged to our father, he has made all his wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah in the flock to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that he is not friendly toward me as formerly. But the Lord said, the Lord of my father, I'm sorry, but the God of my father has been with me. 
You know all that I have served. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages. Then all the flock brought forth speckled. If he spoke thus, the striped shall be your, be your wages. Then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And, he, and it came about at the time when the livestock or the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. Behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and spotted. And then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and molted. For I have seen all Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you appointed, anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have a portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Then Jacob arose, put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock and all his property which he had gathered. He, his, his acquired livestock which he had gathered in Padam Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, when Rachel... Then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's and Laban, I'm sorry, and Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was fleeing. So the, so he fled with all that he had and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him, pursued his, him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the, of the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I have, might have sent you away with joy and with song and with tam, tambrel and lyre and did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do, to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to speak a word, either good nor bad, to Jacob. Now you have indeed gone away, because you have longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob replied to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me. The one with whom you find your gods shall not live in the presence of your, our kins, kinsmen, Point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out 
of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in a camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all that all of the tent, but did not find them. She said to her father, Lord, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. He searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, what is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me, though you have felt through all my goods? What have you found of your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required of it my of it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was by day. The the heat consumed me, the frost of night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I have served you 14 years for your daughters and six years for your uh, for your flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father and the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands. So he rendered judgment last night. Then Laban replied to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children and the flocks are my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have borne. So come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let us bear witness between, let, us be, let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took the stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap, and there they ate by the heap. Now Laban called it Jagar Shahuta. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. But Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, this is a heap or a pillar is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it was named Gilead at and Mizpah. For he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from, a, one from another. If you mistreat my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, behold, this heap. And behold, the pillar which I have set between you and me, this heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to do you harm. And you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me to harm for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of, the, of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the by the fear of his father, Jacob. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal, and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Now Jacob went as far as the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named it, named that place Maz Mahanan. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, for many of us, that time we, which we have just spent the last 10 minutes reading your inspired word 
is for many of us the most accurate time that we will spend in our worship service. For we have just read from the very word of God. We pray now, Lord, that you would carry us along as we continue to consider the understanding and the meaning of your inspired word. Give to us ears to hear and hearts that believe and minds that understand. And let us see the redemptive purposes in all that you are showing us. Be with us for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And thank you for your patience through my fumbling through that reading. My dear brothers and sisters, I wonder if you have ever heard someone say concerning a conflict, the situation was not handled very well. You ever heard that concerning a conflict? And at the end of the conflict, the conclusion was the situation was not handled very well. After reading this long narrative, and I do thank you for your patience again, it appears that that was exactly Laban's complaint against Jacob. Laban essentially said to Jacob, Jacob, I realize that you are in a difficult situation. But Jacob, you did not handle this situation very well. Brothers and sisters, in the years that I have been privileged to serve in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have unfortunately been a witness to and have also unfortunately been personally involved in many encounters where it might be concluded the situation was not handled very well. We must understand, brothers and sisters, when sin is involved in these con conflicts, these situations, it is almost never possible to walk away with those or from those painful situations and conclude, oh, that went well, or that was handled very well. Sin is involved. It's almost never possible for us to conclude that it went well. Most people would like to believe that we, we are able to walk away from messy situations where sin is involved, smelling like roses. But most often, we walk away from those sinful situations smelling of the stench of sin, don't we? Why is this so? Well, the foremost reason is because we are messy creatures, aren't we? We are all corrupted with sin, aren't we? We most often don't seek what is good for the other person. We often, most often, seek what is good for our own selves. We most often don't seek what glorifies God. We, we seek what makes us feel good. We are a messy sinful people. And yet it is evidence evident when we read the scriptures that God most often seems to work in the lives of his people when they are in the midst of a rather messy situation. That is something that even the newest Christian and the youngest Christian that they need to understand 
Because the best thing that God has ever done in the history of the world, namely, giving His only begotten Son for our sins, was from the very beginning to the very end profoundly messy. Therefore, we must not think that when God is at work, that He keeps things neat and clean. That when God is at work in our hearts, that He would work in our hearts in a neat and tidy way. No. Brothers and sisters, God is on the construction site. And Bakersfield is a construction site right now, isn't it? Everywhere we go, there is construction. God is on the construction site. He is reconstructing His people. And the deconstruction and reconstruction site of our lives is bound to have a certain messiness attached to it. As God tears down and God builds back up in His power and by His grace. Things are messy, yes, but because God is working. And when God is at work and He is always at work, things will not always be nice and clean. At the end of this narrative, Jacob or Nate Laban complains that Jacob, seemingly out of nowhere, gathers up all of his things, and according to Laban, even gathers up Laban's things and hightails it out of town, or as the old timers might say, got out of Dodge. Laban complained, Jacob, you did not handle this situation very well. And I encourage you, to get alone and, and read this chapter again without all of my fumblings by yourself. Feel the weight of this chapter. See all of the things that are taking place. See the things Laban is saying. See the responses that Jacob is giving. And when you do, and I pray that you do, would you marvel at the wonderful work that God is doing in this chapter and how he is marvelously and obviously at work in all of these chapters Jacob's life from beginning to end is a is a is a construction site and so is yours Jacob's life is a construction site and so is yours therefore when those who are around you uh, complain that you are, are not doing things perfectly, well, you should take that criticism and say you don't know the half of it. But you should also say, I'm under construction, aren't I? The things that I am not doing right, I pray by God's grace I would be humble enough to accept and to uh, repent of the fact that I am not doing them right, but I am under God's construction. And thanks be to God that through it all, God is with you. That's, I think, what we see through all of what we read in Jacob's life. I pray that we are able to see this morning how God is with Jacob in four different ways. Let us consider the first. God is with Jacob in the midst of an impossible situation. I'm not going to read all of these things over again, but this is chapter 30, verses 25 to 43. Brothers and sisters, these narratives were almost certainly handed down from generation to generation. But there is 
a very important reason why this story was included in the history of God's people, Israel. Upon reading the story, especially in these verses, we might ask ourselves, what does this all have to do with me? Uh, These goats, these uh, lambs, these spotted and speckled things and putting rods by where animals are made, what does that have to do with me? We must remember that when we are reading God's word, we must never come to the scriptures and first ask ourselves, what does this have to do with me? We must always come to the scriptures and say, where is God? And how is God gaining glory for himself here? We must read these scriptures and understand what is is meant in this text in terms of the story of redemption. How is God showing us how he saves his people? Look for God first, not yourselves. Here we find Jacob in the midst of an impossible situation. Here he is with a large family and a deep-seated aspiration to see God's promise fulfilled, that God would take him home. He's worked hard for 20 years under his uncle Laban, and, and really at this point it's 14 years He's going to work for Laban another six years during this whole flock. Uh, When we read verses uh, 25 to 43, that's another six years that is going on there. He's worked for his his uncle Laban at this time for 14 years. And his uncle Laban has been more of a slave master than a beloved uncle. Laban has even prospered, not because uh, Laban is so wise, but because Jacob is in Laban's household. Laban's wealth has grown off of the blood and sweat and tears of Jacob. And Jacob knows all of this. All the while, Laban has dealt dishonestly with his nephew. In chapter 31, Laban, or Jacob, when he confronts his uncle, says, you you have cheated me in my wages. You've changed my wages ten times. Not that you have given me raises, that you have cut my wages ten times. And now you see in verse 25, Jacob has asked Laban for his freedom. Laban, I'd like to go home now. It's time for me to take care of my own family now, Laban. You have prospered under and, and because of my work, but Laban, I need to go home. This was Jacob's decision. This was Jacob's desire. The Lord had not yet told Jacob, it's time for you to go. But Jacob, in his own anticipation and in his his own desire, said, I need to go. But it was not yet God's timing for him to go. Laban was reluctant to, to release him. Laban knew that he had prospered because of Jacob. And it appears that Laban, at one point, even goes to someone who could read his fortune or a palm reader, if you like, and asked him, how am, I, how am I gaining such success and wealth? And apparently, the palm reader told Laban, it's because of Jacob. Now, you didn't need a palm reader to know that it was because of Jacob that Laban was prospering. But this gives us more insight into what kind of godless pagan Laban really was. Laban will use the name of the Lord, but he does not worship the Lord. 
We'll even see later that, that Laban is, is looking for his God and can't find him. Laban does not want to let Jacob go. And he, he, he seeks to negotiate with his poor nephew. Brothers and sisters, isn't this when God works the most? When it appears as though we do not have an opportunity. The Lord somehow, in only the way that he can, provides a way where there appears to be absolutely no way. We would love for God, I think. At least I would. I would love for God to work when we are strong, when we have plenty. But God most often or always delights, I think, to work on men and women when they are frail and when they are weak, when we are helpless and when we are in impossible situations. I heard one theologian say that our importunity is God's opportunity. That was certainly true in Jacob's impossible situation. And Jacob was given the wisdom to envision, as we will see, to try to resolve this matter by a very modest proposition. He says to his uncle, and here's the proposition, give me the poorest, give to me the weakest of the flock, give me those that I could probably sell for nothing. And if you do so, I will look after your flock for a little while longer. Now, you would think that he would know that he was walking into the spider's web, Laban. Laban seems to immediately agree. It was an offer, to quote a movie, it was an offer that he could not refuse. But those wheels and the deceitful mind of Laban began to turn rapidly as he thought of a way that he might once again get one over on his nephew Jacob. What does he do? Well, he agrees to this deal. And by nightfall, Laban gathers all of the speckled and spotted flock and he sends them away with his sons. His sons were able to create a distance of three days between them and Jacob. So that Jacob would have no chance of recovering that which was rightfully his. Jacob would therefore be left in a situation where he would inherit the weakest, poorest of all of the flocks. And even that which he had to begin with was very small. Jacob or Laban took most of the spotted, most of the speckled and left some of them for Jacob. Jacob, you're going to be stuck with me for years. This is the agreement that you will work for me and, and watch over my flock until you grow. Well, good luck there. There is a minuscule possibility of Jacob being set free from the grasp of Laban. It looks as though this modest proposition has once again set Jacob back to an, an impossible place. Now, I'm sure that as we read it, you might have thought, this is very strange, because what happens next is very strange. And many scholars can't even agree on what, what is the meaning of this. It's something that, as it's been said before, you should not try at home. It was an act that can only be described as an act of God. Here's what Jacob did. Jacob took poplar and almond sticks and peeled them so that the spots and stripes of these sticks were exposed. You could see them. Then, when the sheep would come down to drink water and also to mate, 
Jacob would place these sticks that had been peeled, place them in front of the flocks so that they looked at them while they made it. In those days, there was a belief that if the flocks or whatever the flocks looked at while they made it, that they would produce uh, things that look like what they were looking at while they made it. Now, you're laughing because it is strange. Therefore, they would produce, because they looked at spotted and speckled things, produce spotted and speckled flocks. Dear ones, I think we all know it was not the sticks that made these animals what they were. It was God. Jacob even later, later says, if Laban says, you can have all the spotted animals, the Lord would give me spotted animals. Jacob says, if, if, if Laban said, you could have all the speckled animals, the Lord would give me speckled animals. The Lord was taking his flocks from him and giving them to me. God has done this. As a matter of fact, when he explains to his wives why he's leaving, he says, I had a vision. And even that thing, you guys remember that thing of the sticks? That wasn't my idea. God gave me a vision of that. God told me to do that. I'm amazed at scholars who are trying to figure out, what does this mean? Well, Jacob very simply tells you what it means. God told him to do it. This was going to be a work of God. God did this. God gave Jacob a vision of the very, of the very incident. Jacob did what he did because God told him to do so. And yes, it made no sense. Because God takes foolish things to shame the wise. Naturally does not make sense. Because naturally, it doesn't make sense. And because it wasn't a natural thing, it was a supernatural act of God. That's the explanation. God did this. He used the foolish things to shame the wise. Laban had thought that he had taken advantage of Jacob, and yet God used Jacob's disadvantage as a way of gaining more glory for himself for doing something that only God can do. And that's exactly what God does, doesn't he? When we are in the midst of our impossible situations where we see no way out, God provides a way. And isn't that just his way? So that we might rely upon him. And so that when we are finding our way out, we can only say, praise be to God. Because I saw no way out of this. This was only the hand and work of God. This man had nothing. And ends up being the man who is blessed by God. Verse 45 said he becomes exceedingly prosperous. Large flocks, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. The Lord was with Jacob in the most impossible circumstance. The Lord was with Jacob in such a way that even God, this Laban, had to stand back and marvel at how God miraculously worked in the life of Jacob. God has provided for Jacob. Why? Well, what was Jacob's desire? It, it was to see the promise of God come, come to fruition. God, you promised me all those years ago that you would take me home. You promised me that you would take me to my father. I want to go home. And God's providential promise was this. I will take you home but not empty-handed. I will take you home, but you will be a rich and prosperous man going home. I will not take you home empty-handed. And brothers and sisters, we are going home, aren't we? 
And we are not going home empty-handed. Not so fast, Jacob. Let's look at uh, how God is with Jacob in our second point. God's directing Jacob's big decision. This is chapter 31. Right here in verse 1, it is very clear. Jacob is seeing the writing on the wall, as it were. His brothers-in-law, and I don't know if you know anything about in-laws, but his brothers-in-law are murmuring against him. And he sees in verse 2 that Laban, who at times could be so disingenuous to him, Laban was now no longer being favorable towards Jacob. He, he was, Jacob was losing favor with jealous Laban because of how God was so wonderfully prospering him. And while he, Jacob is feeling the, the temperatures and the animosity around him rising, he knows that it, it seems like conflict is just right around the corner. And then God speaks to him. And what does God say to him in verse 3? Return to the land of your fathers, to your relatives, and I will be with you. Now, Jacob, it is time. Six years ago, you wanted to go, but it was not time. Now it is time. My work in you, in Haran, is done. Go home. There's, there's, there's a sweetness to that, that simple phrase, isn't there? Go home. There's rest in your home. There's comfort in your Go home, Jacob. It's time. And it's going to be hard, though. It's going to be inconvenient now for you, Jacob, but you need to go. It's going to be sore for you now, Jacob, but you need to go. It's going to cause all sorts of hassle for you, Jacob, but it is time for you to go. And it is marvelous to see how Jacob has turned a significant corner by God's grace. And he has become the example of following God's guidance. When formerly he was one who acted by his own wits. Now he is wholly trusting on God. He is living by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, it seems. He's heard from the Lord. From the time that he was met by the Lord in Bethel. All those years ago, 20 years, he has been looking forward to the day when God would say to him, go home. And now that day has come. God will take him home. He will take him to the land that he has promised to Abraham. The land that he has promised to Isaac. And yes, the land that Jacob will inherit through those covenant promises. 20 years in a foreign land. Under a deceitful slave master. And amidst the animosity of those who lived among him. And now it's time to go home. Would you notice that after Jacob speaks to his wives. About what the Lord has said. He sends his flocks ahead of them to go back to Canaan. He, he readies all of his belongings and sends them back. Go to Canaan. I, I will meet you there. He then prepares his family. To return home. Now, now, as you read this, you will notice that there's a sense of his departure being abrupt. It's almost as if he's saying, quick, let's get out of here. Why? There's a detail in verse 19 that says, now Laban went down to shear his flocks. And it appears that as Laban goes down to shear his flocks, Jacob takes that as God's sign for him to get out of Dodge. 
He takes advantage of what he seems to be a providentially provided opportunity of God. God has spoken. Jacob goes and tells his wives. Notice that, that Laban is leaving and Jacob interprets that as God saying, now get out of here. Now we must be very careful at this moment. We must be careful not to uh, interpret all of the, the things that happen in our lives as if God was speaking to us or giving to us indications of what he wants to do. We must be very, very careful when it comes to making big decisions. We must not say, God, this is the decision that I'd like to make. Uh, let a leaf fly by me right now if this is really you speaking to me. Well, what if it's the fall? How convenient would that be? There's leaves falling all over the place, right? We must be very careful. We, we must be men and women of God who seek the face of God and who search the scriptures when we are in the midst of making monumental decisions. Decisions that will change not only our lives, but the lives of those who surround us. And notice that Jacob is, is kind of a Proverbs 3 kind of person here, isn't he? He's not wise in his own eyes. He is trusting the Lord with all of his heart. He's acknowledging God in all of his ways. He's fearing the Lord and he's turning from evil. This is another thing. Making a big decision means you need to ask yourself, am I sinning in any kind of way by what I'm doing? Is there any sin in any way involved in what I'm doing? If I can cover all my bases and say, I'm making these decisions and yet I am doing them in right ways according to the scriptures and I'm obeying God. Then at least you can say, I did my best to obey the word of God rather than those who make decisions and they do so with all kinds of sin involved. That makes it a lot harder for someone to say, yes, you're in God's will. Oh, my gosh, brothers and sisters, let us be so very careful about saying what we think is and is not God's will, especially when those who are acting in certain ways are acting with sin involved in their decisions. It can't be God's will if they're uh, allowing sin to be involved in everything that they're doing. It can't be. What is it then? It's a sinner chasing after sin. Notice, Jacob gains counsel, doesn't he? And he gains counsel from those who are closest to him. In this case, it was his wives. And men, we would do well to remember that our wives, and I say this singular, not plural, our wife, our, but you know what I mean. They're not our slaves. They are our equally made in the image of God helpmates. Think about this. My wife has made a commitment to stay with me all the days of my life. Why would I not share what is going on in my heart and in my mind with her? That's a grand commitment, especially to be committed to me. More often than what I would like to admit, she helps me to see those things that I am blind to 
or those things that I simply do not want to admit because of my foolish pride. She often counsels me in a way that only she, because she knows me best, can counsel me. Therefore, it is a wise decision to seek her counsel. And wives, it is a wise decision to seek the counsel of your husband who should be leading in your homes. It's also the wise decision to seek the counsel of elders, your elders. Not old people, those who have been charged to look after your souls. Let us, elder and member, come together, pray together to consider God's word together and see if this is something that pleases God or does not please God. And can we be very careful to be careful about how we interpret the scriptures? Let someone check what you've interpreted as being God's will and see whether or not this is something in context or out of context. Do we have big plans ahead? Who has prayed with you? What parts of God's word have you read that indicate what you are doing is a good decision? Who have you asked to check that interpretation? You see, there is security in having a few counselors. Not a, not, not, not a thousand counselors. You don't need to put it on Facebook and ask everybody, take a poll, what do you think? That's stupid. The dumbest thing I've ever heard of. What do you guys think I should do with my life? Ask all your 2,000 fake friends what they, what they think you should do and go upon those percentages. That's not the will of God. It's the will of a, of a, of a generation that is lost in, a, in fake relationships. You want to talk to me? Call me. Let's talk. Let's talk face to face. People don't do that anymore, do they? Jacob's wise rec wives recognize that God has been faithful and that he has provided. They know all of the abuse of and deceit of their father. He's taken advantage of them as well. They agree that what God has planned for Jacob is good and they submit to his will. Jacob is saying to them, I trust God. He's been with me. He's looked after me all of this time. Now he is taking me and therefore he is taking you. Taking us home. We might say that this is one of those pictorial versions of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. That God works everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Did you notice that? Notice that the Bible does not say that God says everything's going to turn out all right in the end. For everyone. Because obviously, it did not turn out all right in the end for Laban. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. For those who are called according to his purpose. Not for everyone. He will be for those who are his. And it may have appeared in times as though God was not for Jacob. Imagine 20 years. You just want to go home. God, you've given me this promise. Just take me home. And now he is able to say, all of this time, God has been with me. He's been my refuge. Imagine 20 years, brothers and sisters, think about this. Where were you 20 years ago? What were you doing 20 years ago? And God is saying to Jacob, these 20 years I've been with you. Whether you knew it or not, I've been with you. 
It's taken God. Let me say it this way. God has taken. Not it's taken God. God has taken 20 years to bring this man to a place where he is now in step with God's word. That he would work on this man for 20 years. Why is God so slow? You ever ask yourself that? Why is he so slow? My dad used to sing, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. God is never slow. God is always on time. You and I are slow. We are slow to obey him. We are slow to come to his word. We are slow to come to him in prayer. It's not God who is slow. We are slow. So when we are asking ourselves, why not quicker? When we are asking God, why not quicker? We need to ask ourselves, what am I not doing to be in step with what God has commanded? God is at work in us to bring us to a place where we say it's all him or nothing. Thirdly, God is with Jacob in that he protected his life. And would you please be patient with me over the next two points? I know that the time is getting nearer, but bear with me. Jacob has increased greatly. He's become rich with flocks and children. He's been in a foreign country. Now listen to all of these things. He's been in a foreign country for 20 years. He's now returning home to his father and his plight is now protected by God. There's a small detail also in verse 19 that I would like to briefly touch upon, which is this. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, his daughter Rachel stole something. It was one of her father's household gods. She stole an idol. After three days, Laban returns home and he learns that his family, Jacob, his, his children, all that he has had, that they've all departed. Laban is in shock, but, but Laban does something very interesting. He goes into his house and he notices something's missing. Where's my God? Where? Someone has taken my God. He mounts up all of his kinsmen and they go on a seven-day journey to catch up to Jacob. When Laban catches up to Jacob, he berides him. He, he catches up to him and he says, you've abruptly left. We'll get into all of this in the next one. And you took my God. Who took, where is my God, Jacob? You left, you took my family, you took all my, my children, all my flock. And you took my God. Where's my God? Jacob has had enough and he oversteps and, and without knowledge says, what gods? I have no need for your gods. As a matter of fact, if you find your gods anywhere in my camp, kill the person who took it. Which made Rachel go. <laughs> You've been a child before. What's behind? What's in your hand? You would drop those things. Nothing's in my hand. He doesn't realize that he's pronouncing death on his wife. Now we must ask the question, why did she take these gods? Here's the answer. We don't know. We don't know. Really, we don't know. 
She makes a quick response, though, after she finds out that she could die for taking these gods. She's taken this silly little created thing and sitting on this silly little created thing. She's carried away Laban's God. I wonder where he would turn now. I hope that strikes you as it did me. What's he going to do now? The gun is so small it fits into a saddle. Laban is chased after his family, chased after Jacob to rescue his God. And he can't find his God. Where's my God? He's lost his God. He's upset because someone has taken the very thing that he bows down to. Who would he bow down to now? And maybe you were laughing as I laughed when I began to read this and say, I've got to bring this out. I know I'm missing a lot of details, but I'm going to bring this out. How often do we do that with our cars? Where's my car? How often do we do do those things with our wallets, with our homes, with our trinkets, with our children? We treat them as gods, don't we? What am I going to do now? Some of you can still right now think about something that was stolen from you a long time ago. I went to play pool one time with my, my brother, Tony. I had a special ring that my father gave me. It was one that he had worn when he was unsaved. And I put it on the sink. It was worth probably a dollar. I went back to play with my brother and I realized my ring was gone. So I went back into the bathroom. Literally, I was gone just a second. It was gone. Now, those of you who know the east side of Bakersfield, it was the pool house on Niles. In between Mount Vernon and Oswell, this was not a very nice place to be. I yelled out to all of the people who were there, who took my ring? I was very bold because I happened to have a 6'8 guy standing by me. Which one of y'all took my ring? I started walking by all of the men. It wasn't worth anything. Just give it back to me. It was a God to me in a sense. It was something that I cherished because it was my father's and more. Do you have a living God? See, Laban could have simply said, where's my God? I can't find it. That's okay. I'll go make another one. Do you have a living God? Or can you just go create another one? Is your God the creator of all things? Or do you worship a God that can fit into your pocket? That kind of God cannot provide for you. That kind of God cannot save you. We must ask ourselves, why is it that we allow the gods of this age to excite us? And why is it that we lose sight of the privilege that we have to know the true and living God? And to say to the true and living God, you've been with me all this time and you're never lost. Don't ever say I found God. He's not like Laban's God. You were found by him. 
you didn't find him. He found you. And he's provided for you. He's protected you all of this time. Who is like God? The one who pardons our sins and passes by our iniquities by grace. To know such a God in Jesus Christ is the greatest knowing you will ever know. Let's move on finally. The Lord is with Jacob as he gives him courage. This is the very end of the chapter. It's so interesting. There is one place in the narrative up to this point where Jacob is just answering questions with not very many words. He comes off as a very silent individual. And then suddenly, after Laban can't find his God, Jacob has had it up to here. We have a full lengthy paragraph of Jacob saying, Finally, giving Laban a piece of his mind, much like many of you would like to do, some of you would like to do to your bosses or co-workers from time to time. Laban comes to him and says, oh, Jacob, and, and he's, he's so disingenuous at this point. Uh, or, or as I learned, uh, uh, I better not say it. I'm going to be pretentious by saying it. Uh, if you've just done these things the right way, Jacob. I would have sent you away with a song and dance, Jacob. Why did you do it this way? I would have given you a large feast, Jacob. It would have been wonderful. I could have kissed all my kids and sent you away in peace, Jacob. Why did you do it this way? Laban tries to make himself out to be the victim here. Jacob has been silent for 20 years. 20 years. And finally, he's had enough. He's going to confront this hypocrite. But would you notice that God even spoke to Laban the night before and said to Laban, Laban, don't say anything to Jacob. Don't say anything good to Jacob. Don't say anything bad to Jacob. This is not the same Jacob anymore, Laban. Leave him alone. Let him alone. That God would even reveal himself to this pagan is a mercy to Laban. And that God would give him this wise counsel is also a mercy. You're dealing with a different Jacob here, Laban. Don't even try it. And what does Laban do? He does the exact opposite. He tells him good and he tells him bad. Oh, Jacob, I would have done so good to you. You fled secretly. You stole my gods. You took my daughters. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren. And then he threatens Jacob. And if it were not for your God revealing himself to me last night, I would strangle you here and now. He is not living by every word that comes from the mouth of God or any word for that matter that comes from the mouth of God. God said, don't say anything good or bad. He's done them both. And now he's faced with a son-in-law who's grown up. He's no longer afraid. How do we know this? Think of this contrast or this irony. He's no longer afraid. And how do we know that he's no longer afraid? Because the very first words that he says to his uncle, why did you do this? Jacob says, because I was afraid. Interesting, isn't that? Do you know that spiritual courage is not the fact that you have no fear? Spiritual courage is the fact that in face of all your fears, you know that you have far bigger reasons to have courage than you have fear. God was with him. 
Was he afraid? Yes. But as the psalmist says, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you, Psalm 56. This is what Jacob was doing. And you know those moments of confrontation. You know they're coming. You, you know you don't want them, but they've got to happen. Your stomach is in knots. You're sweating with concern. He sees the grand company that has come with Laban, and he remembers the promise that God has given him. And then all of a sudden, he suddenly grows. He becomes a giant because of the promise of God. God can take you and me in our weaknesses. God can take you and I in our shynesses. God can take you and I in, in even our embarrassments of not knowing it all. And he can give to us the courage to speak like lions for his glory. To roar like lions for his glory. And you will notice the longest speech that Jacob has given. He reminds Laban Amidst all of the ways that Laban has mistreated him, but God has been with me all of these years. You've done this to me. You've done that to me. You've hurt me here. You've mistreated me there. But God has been with me. God has been with me. And Laban, I am going home. Enough. He's not afraid to confront Laban about all of the ways that he's been manipulated. And enough is enough, Laban. God is sending me home. This confrontation is concluded with the covenant. Did you notice what the covenant was? Laban and Jacob, they place a pillar. They, they make this pillar of rocks, stones. I will not pass this way to harm you, and you will not pass this way to harm me. Listen, Laban goes home without his God. And out of the pages of Scripture, we won't see him again. Jacob goes home. And guess who he's welcomed by? The angels that were ascending and descending, he sees them again. And he says, I'm home. They welcome him home. At the outset of this sermon, we question the relevance of this passage. I pray that you have seen its relevance, but I wonder if you've seen how extremely relevant this narrative of Jacob's departure was to those who first read it. How extremely relevant this passage also is for us here today. Jacob is holding on to a promise, a promise that has been given to his fathers and one that's been given to him, that he will go to this land of promise. All the while, in a foreign land, under the tyranny and slavery of his uncle Laban. And just as Jacob held on to that promise, so did the children of Israel. Who were in a foreign land. The land of Egypt. And they were enslaved by the tyranny, not of Laban, but of Pharaoh. Jacob was abused and, and misused by his slave master Laban. And even when it seemed as though Jacob was in an impossible situation, he grows and he prospers. The Lord greatly multiplies him and his family and his flocks. So it was with Israel. While they were in Egypt, they grew so numerous that even the Egyptians began to fear them for their great number. Laban, who once looked upon Jacob with favor, now begins to see him with a green eye. Disdain also. 
So it was with Pharaoh. The Pharaoh who loved Joseph died. And there arose a new Pharaoh who mistreated Israel, who did not know Joseph. Just as the wages of Joseph or Jacob were changed and his labor was greatly burdensome, so Pharaoh made the work of the Israelites burdensome, taking away their resources and yet not reducing their production. Until both in the life of Jacob and in the lives of the Israelites, God said to both, it is time to go home. Jacob came to Laban and said, let me go home. Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let God's people go. Laban resisted and so did Pharaoh. And Jacob fled with his family and so did Israel as they made the exodus out of Egypt. And Jacob was pursued by Laban. Pharaoh pursued Israel. When Jacob caught up, or when Laban caught up to Jacob, God rescued Jacob. And the significance of this was a pillar laid so that none would cross. When Pharaoh caught up to Israel, there was also a pillar, wasn't there? A pillar of fire so that they could not cross. At the end of all of this, Jacob saw the angels of God welcoming home, welcoming him home for Israel. They were rescued by God as they crossed the Red Sea. And when they landed on that other side, they sang songs of joy and deliverance. Oh, though you might be amazed by those parallels. You must also know that you are not left out of this picture as well. For you have a greater deliverance. You also have the same promise. Genesis 3.15, that there would be a seed that would come and crush the head of your and my oppressor. And we were aliens, weren't we? Not in terms of our country, but in terms of our standing before God. Because of sin, we were alienated from God. We were separated from Him because of our sin. And we too were oppressed by a deceiver. Satan himself. He sought to kill us, to destroy us, and to steal our lives. But we, though we lived in messy circumstances and situations, and though we lived in the mess of our sin, we were yet preserved by God. He's been with us all this time. And he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and to take on our flesh and to live in our stead, to be our covenant head and to walk by the faith that Adam failed to walk in. Christ walked by faith all the way to a tree. And unlike Adam, he would not be deceived by that tree. He would not be led astray by that tree, but he would follow his father all the way to death, even death on that tree. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ laid down his life to bring many sons to glory. And we are freed by the blood of Christ. And we have the same promise of Jacob. The same one that he held on to. The same one that Israel held on to. That God is going to take us home. And today, though it may be slow in our estimation. God is marching us on to Zion. We are headed toward that eternal city. God is taking us home. And he will make sure that his promise is kept. I pray you see now the even greater relevance of this passage for you even here today. Once in bondage to sin, deceived by Satan, mistreated by Satan, 
set free by Christ. And now we are going home. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now and we praise you and worship you and we thank you that you have, you have been with us all this time.